0: Tells us to uh, how to handle adversity, and he begins this section emphasizing our weakness, our limitation, the fact that we are temporary, and that we can't uh, see around the corner. We don't know the future. Uh, we can't predict what's going to happen in the future, much less control or influence what happens in the future. That's where this text begins, and then it ends with a consideration of the sovereignty of God. God is the one who uh, who holds the future and who determines the future, and and uh, uh has ordained uh the present and the future, and that we can find hope and help in considering uh the sovereignty of God that when days are pleasant, we should be joyful, and when days are difficult, we should recognize that God has ordained the the difficult as well as the 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 pleasant and the uh, uh prosperity as well as Adversity, and if we can be joyful in prosperity, because the same God is sovereign over adversity, we can be joyful then too. And so tonight we're going to answer the question: How do we, how do we face adversity? How can we uh, uh, stand up on days of on difficult days? And uh, and so uh, the text here calls us to uh, to patient endurance. And so let's uh, let's look. I'm going to start reading in verse uh, 7. That's where we left off last week, of chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 7. Surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason, and a bribe debases the heart. The end of the thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Do not say, Why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a defense as money is a defense. But the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. Consider the work of God for who can make straight what he has made crooked. In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. And so I think uh, uh, he, he answers this question in five ways. Five ways that we can handle adversity. Five ways that we can face the day of adversity. Uh, first, uh, the first way is be be content. Be content with what you have. We've talked about the fact that he has talked about uh, things that are better. Uh, than others as we've gone through this section, and uh, we'll see here in just a minute the end of a thing is better than the beginning, but uh kind of breaks the pattern in verse 7 and goes back to the idea of oppression. Uh, the preacher tells us in chapter 7, verse 7, that a- oppression destroys a wise man's reason. In days of adversity, we might be tempted to be discontent with what we have, Uh times are times are hard times are lean we don't have much and we have a tendency to be discontent and when we're discontent with what we have we try to figure out ways to get more and one of the ways that we might try to get more is through oppression and oppression is to use your power or influence that you have and exploit that power in an attempt to gain more possessions and so uh you know there we uh Society is structured with order and, and power, and everybody has some degree of power or influence over others. And In days of adversity, we might be tempted to use that power to acquire uh, more possessions. And even even wise people can be tempted by riches and a desire for more possessions. Even a wise person can be tempted to gain more through oppression or bribery. And the preacher says that oppression destroys a wise man's reason and a bribe debases the heart. Um, so we might be tempted to use power that we have to, to, uh, uh, to gain more resources. Or if we're in a position of power, we might be tempted to accept a, a bribe uh, that would uh, uh, corrupt the heart. And you know, so much, of our, so much of the discussion in our society today is about the, the subject of, of power and oppression. Uh, a lot of dialogue about, about power and power structures. Uh, if I uh, have power over you, then I can force you to do my will. And uh, if I've got power, I can cause you to do what I want you to do instead of sitting down and negotiating a a solution and, uh, and working toward a compromise. You know, if our power is equal, then we sit down, we negotiate, and we come up with a, uh, a compromise or a, a solution where we both can win. But if I've got power over you, then I can force you to do my will. I can bully you into submission. Um, and people see the exercise of power as a way to get what they want. And we assign value to ourselves based on the number of our possessions, and so we uh, days of adversity. We're not content with what we have. We want to use the power that we have to bully someone into submission to gain more resources, to gain more things from ourselves. Oppression can come from discontentment, dissatisfaction with what I have. Uh, but the gospel uh, tells us that power and through power, gaining possessions is not the solution. The struggle is not for power. The struggle is not for possessions. The struggle is is over sin. And the gospel tells us that it's actually when we are weak that we are strong. When we recognize that we are powerless is uh, the beginning of strength. We recognize our weakness, our need, our dependence, and uh, and we seek strength in Jesus. And the gospel teaches us not to focus on our rights, but on our responsibilities. Our society, we, we focus so much on, on, on rights and, uh, and what I am owed, uh, what I am entitled to have. But the gospel teaches us to focus more on our responsibilities. We're not to see people as a way to get what we want, but we are to see people as those created in the image of God that are worthy of dignity and respect and who we are to seek to serve instead of seek to oppress or exploit. And so the the preacher tells us that oppression can destroy a wise man's reason. In days of adversity, we can be discontent and seek to use what power and influence we have to gain things for ourselves, and that destroys our reason. And a bribe, you know, receiving money uh, in order to, uh, to make... Uh, to, to exercise our influence for the benefit of someone else, then that corrupts, debases the heart. So in a day of adversity, be content and trust in God's sovereignty and in His provisions. You don't have to resort to oppression or bribery in order to survive. The temptation is great, and the preacher warns us against it. He tells us to uh, to be content and to be patient. And another preacher will come hundreds of years later, and tell us to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and to believe that the temporary things, what we will wear, what we will eat, those things will be added to us if we seek first His kingdom. And so how do we handle the day of adversity? Number one, be content. Number two, how do we handle the day of, of, uh, of adversity? Be hopeful. Be content and be hopeful. Verse eight tells us the end of a thing is better than its beginning. Be hopeful. Be assured that the end of a thing is better than its beginning. We might we might say, all's well that ends well. Uh, life is full of unexpected turns. Life is full of surprises. Life is full of dramatic swings, dramatic changes. Life is full of last second uh, victories. And we can be assured that the end of a thing is better than the beginning. We cannot truly evaluate an event until the end. At the end, when the results are in, we can sit back, we can look back, and we can ask, was it fruitful, was it advantageous, was it purposeful? And we can't really draw a conclusion about an event until it comes to its completion. So uh, uh, be assured that the end of a thing is better than its beginning. And so in the day of adversity, don't be discouraged. Be hopeful. Be hopeful that the end is better than the beginning and the end is better than the middle. And so be be hopeful, be encouraged. And so uh, how do we handle adversity? Number one, be content. Number two, be hopeful. Number three, be patient. The last part of verse 8, the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be patient. And, and that's really the, the central thought of this part of the passage is, is, is patience. And patient people are persevering. Patient people are long-suffering. Pa- patient people are in for the long haul. The long haul. Patient people will avoid knee-jerk reactions. Patient people won't draw conclusions until the end of the matter, and they will avoid reacting in a way that they might live to regret. So when adversity strikes, patient people bear it with resiliency and wait for the outcome, being hopeful that the end of the thing is better than its beginning. So to be patient in spirit, the preacher tells us, is better than the proud in spirit. And so here uh, he sets up the opposite of patience with pride. And he gives us a few reasons that uh, the patient in spirit is better than the proud. Uh, An impatient, proud person might be hasty to become angry. Verse 9, do not hasten in your spirit to be angry. Um, A proud and impatient spirit can lead to unrighteous anger. Fools are not patient. Fools are not slow to anger. They quickly fly off the handle. When things do not go their way, they might explode in wrath in rage and in anger. And so we deal with the day of adversity with patient perseverance and not proud anger. Now there is such a thing as uh, uh, as righteous anger. You know, we know that anger is not necessarily simple. We know that anger is an attribute of God. We know that Jesus is uh, who was sinless. Uh, frequently in the Gospels, we see that Jesus was angry. We also know that anger is not simple because the Bible tells us to be angry and sin not in Ephesians chapter four. And so there is a righteous anger. And the righteous anger, how do we know uh, righteous anger? Well, righteous anger is properly motivated. Righteous anger is anger that comes from an upright heart. Righteous anger is angry at unrighteousness. And it's good to be uh, angry at evil. It is right to be angry at that which opposes God. It is right to be angry at unrighteousness. But we are sinners, and so often... Our anger is motivated by our self interest and not the glory of God. When we get wronged in days of adversity, we might uh, get angry, demand justice, but often we do not have all the facts and we can get angry without cause or angry with the wrong reason. And Jesus, uh, you know, a wise preacher hundreds of years after this one, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount tells us that uh, we can be angry without cause and And that is equivalent with murder in our heart. And so uh, uh, the patient spirit is better than the proud in spirit. We should not hasten in our spirit to be angry because anger is a judgment of unrighteousness. Anger is an accusation of wrongdoing. Anger is the desire for the injury of another. Uh, Believing that they have done wrong, therefore they deserve punishment. They deserve judgment. They deserve condemnation. And uh, and ultimately, that judgment's not our responsibility. We don't have all the information. We don't know the heart. We don't know the motivation. And our anger is mostly, is usually motivated by our self-interest and not necessarily the glory of God. And only God knows all the facts. Only God knows their heart. Only God knows their motivation. And therefore, only God can render perfectly righteous judgment. Um, and James tells us in the New Testament that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And so there is a righteous anger. But most of the anger that we express and experience is not righteous anger, but unrighteous anger uh, that comes in haste. Without knowing all the facts, without knowing all the, all the truth, uh, we become angry because it takes a while to know the facts. And, uh, and being impatient can result in hasty anger. Uh, and so the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit, and we're cautioned not to hasten in our spirit to be angry. Patience can help us be slow to anger. But the preacher also speaks of, he speaks of anger and haste, but he also, in verse 9, speaks of anger that rests in the bosom of fools. And so not all anger is expressed in a blow-up. Not all anger is expressed in a fit of rage. Not all anger is, is let out, but some anger is nursed in the heart, rest in the bosom of fools. Uh, not all right, unrighteous and foolish anger results in an outburst. It can be held in the bosom, in the heart, where it is nourished and, uh, uh, and nurtured, fanned in the flames. Some unrighteous anger can be seething, Gnawing, and it can appear like patience and long suffering, but really it is just uh, a rage that is building up inside and resting in the heart, the bosom of fools. And so we are cautioned to be patient because impatience can result in sinful anger, a proud spirit that demands to be served and that feels entitled. Can result in unrighteous, selfish, and sinful anger. And so, we are to be content. We are to be hopeful, recognizing that this thing's going to end better than it feels like right now. <laughs> and we can be patient, uh, guarding our heart from anger. The other thing that impatience can do is to uh, to to cause us uh, to lead to to pessimism. A proud and impatient spirit can lead to pessimism. The hopeful spirit, the end of the thing is going to be better than the beginning. But an impatient uh, spirit can be pessimistic and look back toward the good old days. Verse 10, do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. And so a proud and impatient spirit can lead to pessimism. It can cause us to look back at days that went behind and and ask, why why aren't things as good now as they were way back then? Uh, And when we say that, we're voicing our dissatisfaction and our discontentment with the present. We are impatient, and we're not willing to wait and see how things turn out in the end, believing that the end of the thing is better than the beginning. Instead, we look back and think, how good we used to have it how how good things used to be and we're discontent and dissatisfied with the present because of that and the classic example of that in the in the bible is the book of numbers numbers chapter 11 god had led the people out of egypt and they hadn't been out very long this was, Numbers 11, is before the rebellion that happens in Numbers chapter 14, when they send the spies into the land, and the spies spy out the land, and they return and say, yes, this is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey, and they bring the an example of the produce, the fruit of the land, it is a good land, it is a fruitful land, it is a productive land, yet uh, there's giants in the land and, uh, there is no way we can go and drive those, those giants out. And 10 of the spies said there, you know, yeah, it's a great land, but we can't conquer those people. Those are huge walled cities that are filled with giants. Uh, but Joshua and Caleb to the spies said, Oh, the Lord is with us. He's given us this land. Let's go take it. But they listened to the 10 and they were sentenced to die in the wilderness. But so this is before all that. They had, uh, had been less than two years or well, no, I'm sorry, a little over two years since they had been led out of slavery in Egypt. They spent two years at Mount Sinai, and they have moved uh, a a little bit from Mount Sinai, so it's just been a little over two years since they had come out of Egypt, uh, come through the Red Sea, been delivered from slavery and bondage, and in those two years, it seems like they had forgotten that they were slaves. (laughs) They forgot that they were in bondage. And in Numbers chapter 11, They're in the wilderness, and they say, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost us nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlets. But our strength is dried up, and there's nothing but this manna to look at, (laughs) they say in Numbers chapter 11. Listen, two years after being delivered from, from bondage, they look back and they say, oh, wow, we had it so good in Egypt and we're so miserable here in the wilderness. Uh, they are, you know, they're asking, why were the former days better than these? And they were on their way to a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that God promised that they would own and not be slaves. But they were not patient enough to see the end of the thing. And they were not hopeful enough to believe that the end of the thing was better than the beginning. And uh, in the end, they would not even see the end of the thing because of their unbelief and their rebellion. They died in the wilderness. But the thing, you know, they two years from slavery. And they're wanting to go back because they had free food. Uh, spicy food, flavorful food. And they're in the wilderness on the way to the promised land, and they refuse to believe that the end is better than the beginning, and they look back toward the good old days. So much like us, to complain, to be discontent about the present while looking back to the good old days doesn't come from a heart of wisdom. And so, uh, you know, and I, one of the things I do for folks when I go visit or do with folks Assistant assist in life review you know i'll talk to somebody 100 years old and just say wow how things have changed in 100 years you know just about everything we have has come into existence in your lifetime <laughs> you know and uh, all the things all the technology that we have uh, but we're so tempted to look back and say oh those were the good old days when uh, <laughs> when uh, we didn't have all these modern conveniences all these things that were invented to save us time, and now we're busier than we've ever been. How does that happen? <laughs> but uh, but uh, we look back and we say, boy, those were the good old days. Uh, but we need to learn to be uh, content, uh, to be hopeful, to be patient, and not to be pessimistic just looking to the past but believing that our best days are in front of us. So uh, how do we handle the day of adversity? We need to be content. We need to be hopeful. We need to be patient. And then number four, be wise. Verse 11, wisdom is good with an inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun. Be wise. Wisdom is good with an inheritance. Now in the Bible, The word inheritance primarily refers to land. Wisdom is good with an inheritance. When God gave Israel the promised land, after 40 years in the wilderness, when all of those rebels died in the wilderness, the next generation went into the land. The land was divided up among the families. It was apportioned as an inheritance. Each family, except for the Levites, received an inheritance of land and that portion of land was passed on from the father to his son and it was to remain in the family some cases when there weren't any sons it was passed to the daughters that the land was to remain in the family and even if that family fell into hard times and wasn't able to make ends meet and had to sell the land what would happen yeah, in 50 years, the year of Jubilee, that land would come back to the family. So even if, they, even if they had hard times, weren't able to support themselves, weren't able to survive, they had to sell the land, that inheritance would come back to them at the year of Jubilee. It would be restored. And so the land was to be a permanent possession. And in an agricultural society, land represents food, security, stability, that's another thing. I talk to people who have lived in Monroe County for 100 years, and a guy that's lived in 27 houses in 30 years is, uh, <laughs> you know, that there's stability and security and land and having a place and, uh, and having the same place. Um, and, and, and the inheritance of land means you can survive tough times. You know, if you can't, you don't have enough money to go to the store to buy, buy your food, you got land, you can grow it. And you can grow what you need. So wisdom is good with an inheritance. You've got land. Be wise in how you use it. And uh, wisdom can be profitable. So wisdom is good with an inheritance. Safety, security, stability, those things that you need. And it is also profitable. Wisdom is profitable to those under the sun. It's an advantage to those that are living. And not only is it profitable, but is a defense, verse 12. For wisdom is a defense, as money is a defense. And so money, uh, you know, the Bible does tell us that the love of money is the root of all evil. Some people misquote that verse and say, money is the root of all evil. No, Paul says love of money is the root of all evil. Money is a tool. And like any other tool, it can be used for good. Or it could be used for evil, and uh, and so money can, uh, uh, to some extent, protect us from hardship. Uh, just like the land, if you don't have money and you got land, you can grow it. Well, if your land's not producing and you got money, you can buy you can buy the food, you can buy what you need, and so uh, money can to some extent protect people from hardship, uh, safeguard you from hunger. Uh, if you can't grow it, go buy it. In a time of unemployment, money can keep you from being evicted or having your mortgage foreclosed upon. Uh, money can sometimes protect you in the days of adversity. For wi- and, and, and like money, wisdom is a defense, as money is a defense. And so, money is wisdom is like money in that way. But uh, it's like money in a way that it can be a defense provide uh, for you in days of adversity but there's one way that wisdom is even better than money chapter 12 verse uh, chapter 7 verse 12 the second part but the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it money's a tool can be used for good but it can't give you life Um, but uh, but wisdom can give you life Wisdom is better than money because it gives life to the one who has it. Wisdom gives, gives a life that cannot be overcome by difficult circumstances. Wisdom gives a life that cannot be smothered or drowned out by the floods of suffering that we experience under the sun in days of adversity. Be wise because wisdom brings life. Not just abundant life here on earth, but wisdom also brings eternal life. Wisdom shows us our weakness, our inability, our helplessness, our hopelessness apart from Christ. Wisdom, wisdom recognizes what the preacher has said at the beginning of this of this text that we are uh, that we are man, that we are dust. We cannot contend with whom, who, him who is mightier than we. We see our weakness, and wisdom helps us see the sovereignty of God and uh, to to show His strength. Wisdom shows us that we need a Savior. And wisdom drives us to that Savior, to Jesus, in repentance and faith. Wisdom helps us understand our weakness, our inability, our helplessness, our hopelessness apart from Christ. And wisdom drives us to Christ in repentance and in faith. And wisdom also leads us to consider the work of God. Verse 13. Consider the work of God. For who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. And so wisdom leads us to consider the work of God. Consider the work of God who can make straight what he has made crooked. Or the question is for who can make straight? what he has made crooked no human person can straighten out what God has made crooked it would in fact be simple pride and foolishness to try to change the work of God Uh, we cannot make straight what he has made crooked but he is he is sovereign he is all powerful his works are great he has made all things he has made things that seem crooked to us Uh, things that we cannot understand, things that are mysterious to us. There's sickness, there's suffering, there's mourning, there's disease, there's death. To To us, these are all crooked things. But even those things are under the sovereignty of God. In the day of adversity, consider surely God has appointed the one as well as the other prosperity and adversity. So the crooked things, even the crooked things are the work of God. We can't straighten them out but we must be patient and accept suffering and other crooked things as coming from the hand of God, and we must trust that the end is better than the beginning. And at the end, we will be able to look back and see how we grew through the crooked things, how the crooked things brought us strength and brought us holiness by showing us our dependence and our need for a Savior. And so he has told us on the day of adversity, be content. Don't use your power to try to gain more. Be hopeful. Recognize that the end of the thing is better than beginning. Be patient. Hold up, endure under the day of adversity, and be wise. And then number five, be joyful. Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. That's easy for us to understand. (laughs) We can understand Joyfulness in the day of prosperity. God has been kind. God has been gracious. He has blessed us, and he has given us uh, an abundance. We are flourishing. We are prosperous. Certainly, we can be joyful on the day of prosperity. But uh, the fact is that even on the day of adversity, God is good, and God is blessing, and God is doing his work. And so if we can be joyful on the day of prosperity because God is at work and God is good and God is blessing, in the same way we can be joyful in the day of adversity, knowing that God is good and God is blessing and God is at work and he is accomplishing his purpose. So we can be joyful in the day of adversity, too. We can find joy in the fact that God has appointed both the day of prosperity and the day of adversity. We don't know what the future holds. We can't change the future. He tells us that no man can find out nothing that will come uh, after him. We don't know the future. We certainly can't change the future. We don't know what the future holds. But we can accept the present and the future from the hand of God and know that he's working out his plan and his purpose. We don't have to know the future because we know the one who holds the future and who has ordained the future. We can know him and we must trust him and trust that even in the day of adversity, he is good, he is blessing, and he is working out his plan and his purpose. In the um, New Testament, James tells us to consider it pure joy when you fall into various trials. Recognize those trials are doing their perfect work. God in his sovereignty and in his omniscience, he knows what we need and he knows Uh, the best way to bring it about so God is infinitely wise he knows what we need he is all powerful he can carry it out he is infinitely loving and he will even bring us through adversity in order to make us the people that he has determined and that he needs us to be and so he is working his plan and his purpose and so we can know him so on the day of adversity Consider the work of God, knowing uh, that He has ordained the day of prosperity and the day of adversity. He has appointed the one as well as the other, and so we can be joyful because we can trust Him. Because we believe that if God is for us, who can be against us? And we believe that He who did not withhold from us His own Son, how will He not with Him? also give us all things. And we know that uh, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Will hardship? Will distress? Will persecution? Will famine? Will nakedness? Peril? Sword? Any of those things? Will any of those things separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Will the day of adversity separate us from... The love of God? No, Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says we are more than conquerors. And he does not say we are more than conquerors in spite of our suffering. He says we are more than conquerors in our suffering. No matter how tragic our circumstances may be, no matter how difficult our life may be, no matter how unpleasant our circumstances, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And since the love of God in Christ is always with us, we can search for good and find good And be joyful even in the day of difficult circumstances, even in the day of adversity. So, preacher, how do we handle adversity? Be content with what you have. Do not try to use your power to gain more. Be hopeful, believing that the end of the thing is better than its beginning these momentary sufferings are nothing to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Be patient. Hold up. Persevere. Endure. Be long-suffering and persevering even in the day of adversity. And during that day of adversity, be wise. Because wisdom can bring stability, stability, and security in the day of adversity as we see our weakness and we run to find strength in Christ. And then finally, be joyful, recognizing that God is doing a good work even in our trials. And His purpose is not to make us happy, but to make us holy. And that holiness comes often through the day of adversity. So the preacher asks us, how do we face adversity? Any questions or comments about facing that day of adversity? All right, let's let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for your sovereignty and that we can find hope in uncertain days. Lord, we recognize that we are weak and and dependent and we don't know what's coming and we have such a temptation to be discontent with where we are and we have a temptation to look back and think that those were the good old days that things are better a tendency to be pessimistic but lord help us to walk in truth not go not, not be led astray by our feelings or our perception but to walk in truth And to believe in your sovereignty. And that you have ordained the day of prosperity as well as the day of adversity. And you are working your plan and your purpose. And that you are doing what you alone know is best for us. And Lord, we confess that we are so tempted to say on the day of prosperity, God is good, God is blessing, God is at work. God is near. But in the day of adversity, we don't necessarily believe or feel those same things to be true about you. And so we confess and repent of that and to know that even on the day of adversity, you are good. You're blessing your people. You are working your plan and your purpose. Lord, help us to rest in that assurance and to be hopeful and to know that you are working for your glory and for our eternal good. And thank you for your gift to us in Christ Jesus. And help us to recognize if you never gave us another thing, you've already given us the greatest possible gift in your own son and life in his name. And so, Lord, help us to be wise and to rest in your sovereignty even on hard days. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.